0: Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Krista Samimi. She's a self-employed wellness partner, and she previously worked for Pfizer, but we're bringing her on the podcast for a very uh, unique situation that she had that I thought was worth talking about. So welcome to the podcast, Krista.
1: Thank you so much, Eric. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I'm glad to have you on because you kind of broke down like a huge stigma on LinkedIn and talk about your mental health and not so much of being an advocate just for people having better better mental health, but talk about yours specifically. And you shared a sensitive post about medication you're on. Would you mind just kind of informing the the listeners of like what that is and kind of what you shared?
1: Yeah, absolutely. 2001, I was diagnosed with bipolar 1 disorder and I was doing fine on the meds that I was on at that time. But in 2009, you know, I had a major manic episode induced by stress and not really taking good care of myself working in the fast paced corporate world for Pfizer. So I started on a medication called uh, Clozaryl. And I can kind of go more into what happened in 2009, if that's something of interest. But Um, What I posted on LinkedIn was the fact that um, there's a lot of parameters and guidelines and blood draws and things like that that need to be done in order to get my Closaril every single month. Well, a couple of weeks ago, when I um, kept getting denial text messages from my pharmacy saying, we can't fill your, we don't have all the necessary things, we can't fill your prescription... And everything had pretty much been smooth sailing for the most part with this medication. And um, I was confused. So I just, after not being able to reach the pharmacy from calling them and all of the things, I just said, I'll just go in there in person. Again, this is Clozaril. And this is a medication that when in 2009, when I was admitted to a psychiatric facility for a total of 72 days, this was the medication that quote unquote got me balanced, got me got the delusions out, balanced my bipolar, and got me out of the hospital. So it it was definitely a necessity, um, keeps me balanced. So when I went into the pharmacy and explained to ask, like, what's going on? Why can't get can my prescription? All the pharmacist did, he looked at me, and he said, I'm sorry, we've been trying to reach the REM system for four hours by phone, we are on hold and we cannot get through, the website is down, you're gonna have to find another pharmacy. I was kinda confused, (laughs) I was like, like, really, did he just say that? And I said, okay. So I immediately called my psychiatrist to see what was going on, he got on the phone with me, he informed me that they had this new um, system. Uh, Everyone had to get re-registered through the REMS back in November and he had done everything on his end. The pharmacist should be able to process everything. So that night (laughs) I was very perplexed. I'm like, okay, I went home to count how much Plaziril I had on hand to see if I was gonna have to cut the dose in half to make it last longer. I had eight days left, and I was just kind of baffled by this whole experience, thinking, wow, you know, if I don't get this, like, I'm going to have to miss my leadership summit for my company because going to an in-person event without the right medication is, like, going to be way too stimulating. And oh my gosh, like what am I gonna do? Like what if I can't sleep at night? All of these things are running through my head and I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. So I thought I would write a post and inform people of what's going on, what people that have mental health disorders and have to take specialized medication, like this is what what it looks like. And I knew I had a lot of pharmacy connections on LinkedIn. So I thought I would write my experience, tell them what was happening and see if anybody had any ideas. I put the post up and actually there was a part of me that was like, Oh, you know, this is a really vulnerable post, but this is this is real life and that and that's how I show up on social media. I don't like fabricate my life and this this was really what was happening and I had genuine concern for myself and anybody else like that. So, you know, part of me was like, Oh gosh, don't should I put it up? Anyway, so the next morning I did put the post up. I could not believe the influx of people who actually cared number one, people were commenting and giving me phone numbers and websites to check out I had a patient advocate uh, drop into my message box. She's a pharmacist and she advocates for patients. She g- gave me some advice. Then I remember a guy that I was connected to on LinkedIn, who was also on Quasaril. He's in New York. So I called him and I'm like, Hey, are you having a hard time getting your roll this month? And he was like, no. And I was like, oh, well, what phar- may I ask what pharmacies go to? And he shared, I looked them up. I decided to call this pharmacy to see, hey, man, if <laughs> my friend on LinkedIn is getting his roll, like what's going on over here in California? So I, the pharmacist there was so incredibly caring and nice. I was like, wow, this is like first class service over here. And he's like, yeah, I know. I look, he even looked up that patient. He's like, yep, we were able to process it. And he was the one that also told me that the REM system had changed and to make sure that your doctor had re-registered you. And I'm like, yeah, he did all that. I don't know what the holdup is. So anyways, this post literally like almost went viral. I had like 12,000 views on it and I don't even have 12,000 connections, but I could not believe like how caring and kind all of these people were giving me suggestions on what I should do and all of the things. And I knew in my heart of hearts, like I'm an optimistic person and um, things will always work out and all of that. I knew it would work out, but I was just like perplexed. I was like, is this really even happening?
0: Well, I think it's interesting because, you know, I've been on that pharmacist side of the counter and it was interesting to and I don't know if someone shared or someone or commented on it or liked it, whatever it was, and it popped into my feed. And it immediately made me, like, I don't want to say triggered, but, like, just kind of start thinking of, like, I've been that pharmacist before. Not that I was trying to be a jerk or anything like that, but, you know, there was issues where the person didn't have their paperwork in or there's something I had to give them that bad news. And it was very eye-opening to sit there and be like, okay, this person's going through it. Like, what did I do? Like, what? was I able to try and get done for that person? And in the situation I was dealing with, I basically had to unfortunately kind of like throw the book out because the, as I was telling you kind of leading up to this, the person shared with me that if they're not on that medication, they have some very, very like far out thoughts. And it was kind of, one of those things I'm like, I'm going to do right by the patient. I'll give them like a couple, just put it in their old bottle and just kind of subtract it out, which isn't what you're supposed to do. But I, it was the same thing that I saw with you in that post where it was like, this person is clearly desperate. They're looking out for themselves and it's not anything they're addicting or or addicted to or abusing or anything like that. But this is one of those things where they need it. Like they legit need it. And you shouldn't have to put them in a situation where their mental health, you're the only thing standing between them and their, and their sanity or their mental health, if you will, whatever you term you want to use because of some paperwork basically. But I mean, it's a little bit different. Obviously there's things you got to watch because of, with clozaryl, clozapine, mm-hmm. there's all the white blood cell issues and things like that. But again, this person was just like you. They'd been on it. they have been stable for a long period of time, which I know it can happen at any point randomly, which is why they have these programs. But it's it kind of <laughs> really leaves people in a lurch sometimes if they have to go without their medication because – then, they, like you said, they could be very overstimulated from having to go to an environment. And I, it's not really on me to necessarily judge every aspect of their life of telling them what they should or shouldn't do, but I should put them in a situation to succeed wherever they are. Is that kind of Absolutely. like what you were feeling at that time too?
1: Well, I was, yeah, I mean, like I said, I was a little bit taken back when the pharmacist told me to go find another pharmacy, but like in hindsight, maybe I should have shared with him, by the way, this is what potentially could happen if I don't get this medication um i mean i knew i was gonna get it like i had eight days i knew i'd figure something out within eight days and um but yeah to be at like the mercy of somebody else and i know he was you know very overwhelmed and stressed and not a whole lot of bandwidth left to deal with my unique situation but you know we're more than just like a like a number that shows up at the pharmacy or you know or we're not just like the prescription number here here's your prescription like it makes a big impact like i said like i was ready to potentially cancel my trip to irvine because i was like i cannot stimulation is will just set me off so
0: yeah. Um, and, and the one thing i noticed too is in this post that you had shared it was a chain pharmacy that is often measured by metrics and they are forced down their throats repeatedly 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 well then you actually have to deal with the part of managing what is getting shoved at you from the leaders in the organization about certain metrics or measurements with actually trying to handle somebody who's got a very sensitive situation like this and a personal need that is absolutely relying on your professional judgment. So do you always find that interesting since you said you did recognize that they probably were a little bit stressed out with this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, in hindsight, now I can fully see it when I was there. I, I was—I really well, yeah. couldn't believe that's what he told me, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean you can tell that. The, um, I mean I have a, a niece that works there too, and she just said it's just like there's there's it's not a good work environment. People are stressed, people are under the gun. They do have to meet all of their metrics, and and it shows. I mean I used to when I back when I lived in the Bay Area in California, like I used to go to like a little small pharmacy. My pharmacist knew me. He knew my story. He knew what was going on. He knew my parents. But you know I just feel like it's I'm just like a number at this place. Like they don't really care what it is, you know,
0: what do you think it would take to like maybe change that so that people could actually kind of feel that care in a similar setting? Any idea?
1: Hmm. I don't know when you're in that kind of work environment, it's, it's tough, you know, because you're under all that pressure. I think that, you know, it really comes down to having empathy and that, um, And really understanding like that, you know, what can happen if someone doesn't, whether it's clausoral or, you know, a diabetic that can't get their insulin or whatever it is, like, you know, this isn't just some med you're just giving to somebody like it actually, you know, understanding the impact it would have if that person could not have access to it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting thing. And the reason I asked that was because you said previously you worked for Pfizer and it was very high stress with mm-hmm. kind of what you're doing. So I was just interested if maybe you had any kind of forethought from coming from somebody who's been, uh, lack of a better term, stressed out from work, just if you had any extra insight that could maybe help someone kind of do that on the job. Um, you did say that, you know, you attributed this this stress from the job for needing this. And then I won't ask, you know, I think many pharmacists can relate to being very stressed out as you said too can you share like kind of exactly maybe not exactly but what happened and then what caused you to be mm-hmm. stressed out and then what helped you overcome it in addition to the medication and even like mm-hmm. to this day that you use like some strategies and things like that
1: yeah absolutely so you know i think that probably 2009 is probably the most stress i think i've ever experienced um and what was going on at the time i was um, a pharmaceutical sales representative for pfizer and back in 2008 they laid off a bunch of people and so we kind of like absorbed the workload per se in that like i went from promoting three products to promoting nine products and just having to learn all those different products and disease states and in 2009, we were um, like launching a new product. So we, I remember in April of 2009, we went to Las Vegas and I had gone to training back in New York the month before that. So between like, it, you know, getting my sleep disrupted, being by bi- having bipolar disorder, sleep and stress are probably two of the like bad things for bipolar, I would say. And so traveling time zones and back and forth. And I remember I didn't. I was so busy and consumed with work that like sometimes I would I would forget to refill my prescription. And then um, I was going to Las Vegas. and we would stay up really late, and my sleep would get disrupted. And you know it's not something that just happens like overnight and I turn manic. It's like a culmination of months of not having good self care and all of those things. So under a lot of stress. And I just wasn't taking good care of myself, which is how I landed in the psychiatric hospital for a full 72 days because I was at the mercy of these doctors pumping me with different psychotropic medications. And that was a whole another experience in and of itself. But um, once I left there and was off work for a number of months and I tried to get my job back because that's like all I knew. But once I was gone for a certain number of months on short term disability and then long term disability, I had to actually reapply for my job. That's a whole nother story. But long story short, I did not go back to Pfizer after that. Um, I I instead, I got a job with a company called Sutter Health. They're pretty big over here in uh, California. Less stress, you know, not, not, not the corporate environment, um, that kind of thing. And so the, the job change obviously helped. And then I really started getting into like holistic therapies, doing mindfulness and doing yoga, um, breathing exercises. And then a couple of years ago, I really took, took a hold of um, holistic supplements for what's called the gut brain access. And that literally changed the game for me. I my clozaril went from 200 milligrams, um, all the way down to 100 milligrams because I'm taking care of better care of my gut health, which directly affects our mental health, and um, and just being a part of this um, larger community that uh, at Amari Global. We're a group of heart-centered entrepreneurs, and literally, um, you know, this is what the world needs right now. The world needs options for their mental health outside of pharmaceuticals, and, um, like, doing this brings me so much joy that it doesn't even, feel like, a job. It's, like, what I'm here to do, so obviously, I've minimized my stress, and then I've added in these supplements that actually, like work on cortisol levels and help you lower your own internal stress so um it's been like a complete change going from selling pharmaceuticals to selling supplements
0: (laughs) you know that's a i think it's almost ironic that you know the high stress high stress job you were in was selling pharmaceuticals and then the high stress stress job that many pharmacists are is essentially selling pharmaceuticals, there must be something there that just in the pipeline that just makes us all stressed out with that. But, uh, but I think it's pretty interesting because I think a lot of pharmacists could, could relate to this. And I don't want to say that we're more aware because it's always hard to really truly assess your own mental health when you're in situations like these. But I've seen a lot of pharmacists get burned out and then quit jobs, do things like that, completely change professions, leave, you know, leave their whole pharmacy field behind and it's kinda of like what you did too. Was that like a huge thing knowing that you had to go through these major life changing events in the psychiatric hospital, getting put on a drug like Clausewell, and then yeah. switching professions? Like did that like just kind of also set you off at the same time? Or like how did you kind of manage all
1: that? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that is such a good question because literally when I was in the psych hospital and mind you, after I left after 72 days of being there, I, I was in no function to like go home and live my own, even though I own my own home, I was independent, all of the things. I had to go to like a halfway house for like three months where I lived with other people and all of that. But I was so identified with my career and so identify with Pfizer after being there for 10 years. So like, I didn't even know who I was. Like, I was like, what do I do with myself? Like I was at this halfway house. And I'm like, what, how did I get here? Like, what is going on? And it, it literally took me a couple, three years to really just like let that go. Like I, I'm, I'm I'm a real person outside of this career and um, it took me a number of years and I've always been super, super passionate about mental health and wellness. Um, actually really involved with a organization called NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness, and in their inner own voice program. So I did a lot of advocacy work for them where I'd go around to hospitals, doctor's offices, church groups, whoever wanted to hear our, our presentation or our story. And that like literally fed me. Like, in, in fact, I did that like with, when I worked for Pfizer, I did that like on the side as volunteer work. And i was always like god what if i could just get paid to like work in the mental health space like that would be my dream but i was so tied man those gold those handcuffs were on tight like i was like <laughs> i can't leave i got a i got a company car i got full benefits i got 401k like i couldn't leave like where was i gonna go find any of that and so um i was really stuck in my identity and it took a long time and literally um uh when when we left the Bay Area in two thousand and eighteen and I just up and left my job there and I was like, I'll figure it out and it it was a lot of figuring out to do, but once I found Amari in September of two thousand nineteen, I was like, Okay, this is this is what I'm doing. This is this is where I'm supposed to be.
0: You know, it's but. it's funny you say that because I've heard a lot of pharmacists recently, and I'm, I'm focusing on pharmacists because obviously the name of this mm-hmm. podcast is Political Pharmacist. But yeah, a lot, yeah. A, a lot of pharmacists who have done that recently, like I had a, a friend who had served and was working community in retail, and then after so many years of doing it, and I, I think it was well over a decade finally went and joined the VA and it's, he seems to be doing so much better now. It's, it's always hard to tell social media, right? Because people throw up there what you want to see. They always throw up like the, they throw up the, the ups of their life. they don't always put up the downs of their lives, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. From mutual friends and everything, it sounds like he's, he's doing a lot better. He really likes it and he's got more of a purpose driven with it. And I've heard a lot of people who've made those switches and they've, you know, I've made a career change during the pandemic too. And I really love it compared to where I was in community. You know that identity part and like the golden handcuffs part, like you were talking about. Those are huge. When it comes to the, yeah. the identity, like, did you just have to like disassociate it, or was it just kind of like you, know, like you said, you just all of a sudden woke up and you're like, I am a person. I am not this job. I am not the company car. I'm moving yeah.
1: on. Yeah, yeah. It, it took a, it took years. It did because I was so identified with that, and and um I don't know. It just it, it just took a lot of time to really be okay with it. Like I've done a lot of like personal development workshops and I've been on retreat 2012. I went to the top of Mount Shasta and sat by myself <laughs> for five, six days on a juice cleanse. But yeah, no, it took, it took a lot of time and reflection and everything like that. You know, because our society places so much emphasis on what we do and who, you know, which company you work for and all of that.
0: Yeah, and especially even if you if you've attained a uh, achieved a certain status like I'm going to, again use this like pharmacy or doctor or whatever physician there's so many people who like that's your identity like that's what you are. You are an MD, you are a PharmD, you are an RN and people yeah. refuse to let go of that. I think finally with the pandemic we're seeing a lot of people who with the great resignation are just really stepping up and being like, nope, I'm more than a job and then like either just leaving the workforce or doing something else totally differently altogether. And for listeners, I will put that uh Nami or Nami uh, link that we were talking about into the show notes. You can find that Yeah, help be like an advocate for things like that. Cause I think that is huge. Um, I know a lot of people in the past few years have really had major issues with mental health because COVID really did a number on everybody in society, especially when it comes to mental health. So, um, you know, one thing I think is interesting is that we connected over social media cause you shared a very intimate thing. Do you think yeah. that social media generally hurts or helps people's mental health and how can you use it as a, maybe a professional or semi-professional like setting, like on LinkedIn to make it better?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That is such an, it's such an important question. And I think so many more people are on social media since the pandemic. Since You know, they just, there's just more audience and everything. And it definitely has its um, negatives and positives. I find like the most, It's actually the most trusted platform, which is LinkedIn. I find LinkedIn to be, for the most part, at least my feed, to be very positive, uplifting, supportive people. And so I I think it's good in that regard. Now, I will say that it's, and I do this myself, it's very easy to start comparing yourself to somebody (laughs) else's highlight reel. It's like, oh, my God, and then you start feeling bad about yourself. Look at how much they're doing and look where they're going and all of the things. But I always tell people, like, compare equals despair. Don't compare yourself to somebody else who's five or 10 years ahead of you. There's there's not you're not. That's not a good idea. Facebook is a little bit of a different bird. Um, but for the most part, like, I mean, a lot of people I know, like myself included, are building businesses right off of social media. So I see it from a very different perspective that way. Like if it weren't for the fact that I was building this business, social media probably wouldn't be as active on here, but you know, it it has its pluses and minuses just like anything. I get a little bit worried about the youth because I know that like Instagram for young people is can be really, really detrimental you know, this is the day and age that we're in and this is what people do. And so I I, I try to look at the positives and see what it, you know, it brings. But again, comparing yourself to somebody else's highlight reel is never a good thing.
0: You know, and I think that's one thing that pharmacists are probably guilty of because we're very objective and we always try to go from the data. And there's not as many of us on LinkedIn as there probably should be. But when we start seeing everyone else's highlight reels and we get, like you said, you know, we go through school and we have our own little highlight reels. And we see other people having kids or doing this or doing that. We're like, why can't I be doing that? And I'm guilty of that. And just the other day, like literally earlier today, I was on LinkedIn and I saw somebody had some letters after the name. And I'm like, how the hell did they earn that? And I started like Googling it and like, well, I wonder if I can get that. And so then exactly what you said. And I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) So anyway, I think that it's, it's pretty important that, you know, people just open up about what their mental health is in general. And that's like the political issue, I will say, of this episode. And that's somebody like you who a drug has like a lot of, I don't want to say controversy, but like stigma, even within the medical profession around it, with like clozapine, whether it be because of the blood work or because it's like looked at as like a, like a last line one or something like that for mental health, that you openly shared it and you had such a positive outpouring, which really, you know, maybe I'm an eternal optimist, but that shows me that, People still are generally good. I know we all have our bad days. I had one the other day when yeah. somebody kept getting at my face who wasn't wearing a mask, not at work. And uh, yeah, but you know, we all we've all got our moments. But I think that was really cool that you could just put something like that out there on the internet and get so much positivity and people who are just looking to help provide you with an answer or to be an ear to give you yeah. an answer, if you will.
1: Yeah, I was like blown away. Like how helpful people were. I mean. I still can't, I haven't even finished getting to all the comments. There were so many comments and so many people that came to my inbox too. with like phone numbers to call, It was just like, wow. I mean, I don't know if it would have been like that in other platforms. Like I think, I think LinkedIn is definitely unique that way. So much help and, and, and you know, positivity, but I regularly, you know, here and there share my journey. And I think that's, and I, I notice like in my metrics, just like numbers of views, like when I do share about something specific, especially like when I lost my dad, he took his life, when I write posts about him and stuff, like all that kind of stuff always gets a lot of engagement and views because I think that people want to see people doing well with mental health. And, you know, there's that stigma that it's like the homeless guy, you know, in the gutter that has like depression. Um, but you know, it's, I, I'm just real about it. Like I just, I don't sugarcoat anything and this is what I've been through and this is what I've experienced. And, um, that also helps people when they reach out to me, when they want to try the supplements, they, they trust me because they're like, okay, well she's been through this and she's tried this, this, and this.
0: Yeah, no, I think, I think that's important too, because like that shows, people that you are a real person and that's probably why you get so much more engagement is because it's not just like the highlights that people are going through and you know just scrolling past because they're jealous or whatever but they're actually stopping seeing it and then being like oh god like i can relate to that or i had a moment almost like that and then that's what's drawing mm-hmm. that not that we're all on here for social media likes but i think that that's the thing is we need to make sure we're sharing things like this because it, people other people need to see other people not succeeding so that that way they don't mm-hmm. feel alone
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing when people, you know, it really is the stigma that keeps people from getting the help that they need, because they feel different, they feel nobody else is feeling what I'm feeling. And so they just kind of keep it bottled up inside. And then it's just, it's really sad, you know, that people are struggling when there's so many options available, things that they can do to improve their mental health. Yeah, you know, exercising and mindfulness type things, taking supplements, there's medications. I mean there's so many things, but it's it's sometimes really the stigma that keeps people from getting help.
0: You know, this might be more of a, a an older millennial comment of for me to say, or even people who are Gen X or heck even boomers at this point. But when you see somebody like Robin Williams who took his own life, and mm-hmm. you're like that guy had it all he i mean sure he had some ups and downs with marriages but like he was loaded he was funny everybody universally loved that guy and he still ended up right. taking his own life because of right struggles he had and like that one like i, I started to hear up when i think about it because he's my favorite actor of all time but it's just it's crazy to me to think that somebody like that could go through that which really shows that anybody could at least in my eyes absolutely yeah i
1: even saw some sort of picture on LinkedIn, not, I don't know, maybe it was Facebook, but it was like all these different celebrities and they were smiling and having fun and like the quote on it just said, this is what depression looks like. Yeah, yeah. And it's so true because I used to literally, I remember the days in Pfizer, driving my company car, in my nice suit, carrying my bag and I'm driving along and tears just be coming out of my eyes, mascara running down and I'm like, oh, I just got to see one more doctor. And I just tell Krista, I said, fake it till you make it. And I would like put the smile on, put the bag, go see the front desk lady that really doesn't want to see me. <laughs> hey, can I talk to Dr. So-and-so? Make some snide remark. And then I'd wait in the waiting room and I'm like, please don't start crying around. Please don't start crying now. And I would just, that was my motto. Fake it till you make it.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of us in in healthcare right now with COVID going crazy. Who could who can definitely relate to that fake until you make it or just get through the end of the day, you know, type of thing. So, I, Yeah, uh, but
1: that's like no way to live. Like I was literally like every time I got that blue envelope in the mailbox and I got my check, it was like a surge of dopamine would go through me, you know. <laughs> it would get me going for like another couple of weeks and then I would do it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is no way to live. Like, I would think, okay, how many years do I have to retirement? You know, this is back when I was, like, I don't know, 32 or something. And I'm like, this is no way to live. And, like, I'm, like, so grateful for what I get to do now because it's 100% remote. I love doing it. Today we're on the mountain. I was texting a client because she had a question. and, And I'm like, wow. And I get to do something meaningful because I really felt like when I was doing my corporate job, it was like, it wasn't like meaningful. Like, I I felt like it was sucking my soul, <laughs> and yeah. I was like, some people can do that. They're just like they're driven and they just care about the money and that's all. But like, I, there was something inside me that I was like, I, I can't do this. Like, I'm gonna like I'm gonna burn out. I'm gonna die doing this. Yeah. I literally and I'm What happened? Oh, a psychiatric hospital for seventy two days. Like that's that's just no way to live.
0: Yeah, that is not a small. Uh a small blip on the radar by any means when you have to go through an experience like that. So I can't say that I, uh, I understand, but I can at least say like, I empathize with that because I I'm just like, totally. that's just, such a gargantuan thing in anyone's life that I can understand why that impacted you so much. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing everything about that. Um, I do want to ask two questions I ask every guest who comes on the podcast because I think you coming from the patient side will be very different and possibly even especially with some of your specific experiences to some of these things. If you could change anything about pharmacy that isn't a law, so like a cultural or like how it operates type of thing, what would it be?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question. So I feel like, I mean, I just loved when I went to a small pharmacy back in Pleasanton, California, and my pharmacist, when I walked in, he knew who I was, he knew my story, and I just felt good. And I just kind of like miss those like days where you walk into a pharmacy and people know you and they know why you're there, and what you need, and um, they have time to talk to you. Like, you, I just, it's just a different environment. So if we could change anything, just bringing back, like, human connection to the pharmacy. You know, maybe you don't know everything about that patient, but just, like, having connection instead of just bringing somebody up and that'll be a $10 copay. All right, see you later. You know, it's, um, I just miss that. And that's part of the reason why I use a mail pharmacy for my other, for my lithium, it's like... So, um, you know, I miss that connection.
0: Well, there's a good call for pharmacists. It's small talk isn't small. If nothing else, do you get to get no. to know people that way?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially in day and age, we're like starved for human connection. Yeah. I mean, everything is like digital now and we're online and we're doing zoom, but when I'm there picking up, you know, in person, like gosh, just some human connection from the pharmacy.
0: Well, and, I mean, obviously masks don't help that at all, but we need yeah. to wear them too. So it's you know catch 22 in that spot. But yeah, no, I can appreciate that for sure. If you could change any law or maybe since you're not really a law expert, like any major like hurdles like that that have been thrown at you for a pharmacy, federal or state, what would it be and why?
1: Um, well, I feel like and maybe this is already imp- like, I feel like that pharmacist could at least gave me some like role to tide me over. Um, I think they can do that. Right. I-, I think that's like available. I don't know. I don't know a lot about pharmacy laws to be honest with you, but um, I guess, you know, just being able to accommodate the patient in any way possible uh, you know, giving that, giving that flexibility of, you know, not being so tied to the, the, the law of, or the rules of the REM system and things like that.
0: So I'm going to kind of give you one here based off what you're saying is maybe if the pharmacy boards weren't so hyper critical over every little movement that pharmacists make, that would empower yeah. us to do things like that, which I don't necessarily know if that's a law, but it's like law adjacent if it's not. Because yeah, it seems like yeah, in, yeah, yeah, for it seems, sure. It seems like in most states we're so like we have to be able to like defend ourselves in a court of law for every single action you make when sometimes it's like, just do the right thing. Like, don't worry about it. It's nothing crazy. Just do the right thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. You got it.
0: Yeah. That's uh that's been a very interesting one. as I had a, I had a friend who had to re- actually recently go sit in front of a state board for some issues and nothing really came of it, but it was just one of those things that if he was, completely like rattled from it and it just hit him at his core and like you said it it started making him question his identity a little bit because he's known himself the only thing he's ever known is to be a pharmacist so I think that was a kind of hit everything you talked about on here so Krista thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing your story I think it's something really cool that'll help people connect with what it's like to be on that patient side especially with something that's so high touch like clozapine
1: Definitely. Yeah, you're welcome. I hope it was, uh,
0: you know, good value for your audience. Yeah, for sure. And listeners, if you want, you can reach out to Krista Samimi. That's S-A-M-I-M-I on LinkedIn. She's super open with this stuff. And I think it's, it's kind of refreshing to see somebody who's like not necessarily a pharmacist, but still shares things like that are in the pharmacy world on LinkedIn, because then you can kind of readjust the way like you're looking at things. So go ahead and follow her on there. She's amazing to follow. And as always, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.